Good morning. We are so happy that you have joined us online this morning. My name is uh, Michelle Hoverson, and my husband and I, Walt, serve as elders here at Grace. I used to be on the pastoral staff at Grace Covenant, and I'm just delighted to open God's Word with you this morning because we know that it is through the Scriptures, primarily, that God speaks to us, guides us, and counsels us. So I have an anticipation in my heart this morning that God is going to speak to you. Uh, last week, we started a new series, Gods at War, and Pastor Farrell encouraged us to unfriend the counterfeit gods that vie for our devotion. And um, I'm reminded, you know, school is starting right now, and so with the beginning of a school year, I was thinking about this story I used to hear about the frog who was very interested in his future. He decided to go to a fortune teller to try to find out what was awaiting him. And uh, when he went there and the fortune teller did her fortune telling thing and looked into her crystal ball, she got a little hesitant on what to say to the frog. So he asked her, what do you see? And she said, well, I see a woman who is going to just fall in love with you. She's going to be very attracted to you. And this woman is going to want to know everything possible about you. Well, the frog was really excited about that news. So he said, well, when am I going to meet her? To which the woman replied very gently, uh, next semester in biology class. I'll give you a second to catch up with me on that one. Well, um, this morning, we all know that regardless of our age, all of us are concerned about our future. We all want to live lives that are satisfying and secure. However, in our effort to provide for our families, build our businesses, gain our education, shape our careers, and pursue our dreams, we can begin to believe something or someone will satisfy us as much as or more than our Creator God. And that, my friends, is idolatry. Throughout Scripture, we are taught that an idol is what we sacrifice for and pursue. It is anything we elevate and give our attention to above the pursuit and priority of the one true God of heaven and earth. Anything can become an idol once it becomes a substitute for God in our lives. Just as birds were created to fly and fish were created to swim, we are created to worship. The question that we have to wrestle with all the time is, who or what is going to be the object of our worship? The philosopher Peter Kraft puts it this way, the opposite of theism is not atheism, it's idolatry. In other words, everyone is going to worship a god. Pastor Kyle Eidelman, he writes, In our modern thinking, we associate worship with religion. When you subtract the religious language, worship is the built-in human reflex to put your hope in something or someone and then chase after it. The sad reality is 
that all throughout Scripture, we are warned over and over again that our hearts are prone to be little idol-making factories. In the Word, God makes it very clear that He wants our undivided devotion. His desire for absolute exclusivity and preeminence in our heart is not because he's an insecure authoritarian. It's because he knows that our lives will take the shape of what or who we worship. After Moses died, Joshua was appointed by God to lead the Israelites to go into Canaan, the promised land. The Lord directed the armies of Israel to conquer city after city one at a time and then cleanse those cities, cleanse the land of all the idols that they encountered. After 28 years of leading God's people and at the age of 110, that's good news, 110, he was still serving God. Joshua's time of leading comes to a close. On his last day at the office, so to speak, he makes a farewell address, which is recorded in Joshua chapters 23 and 24. He has led the Israelites in the tearing down of multitudes of physical idols. But now he talks very passionately and personally to the people about the idols of the heart. Joshua reminds everyone that God has been supremely loving and patient with Israel, just as he is with us today. But he also issues a warning that we need to heed as well. And that is, they must not confuse his patience as indifference to sin. He cautions the people that if they allow their devotion to be diverted to other gods, that there will be painful consequences. You see, God's intention for the Israelites was that their unblemished commitment to him would enable them to influence the world in which they lived. But Joshua knows that there is going to constantly be counterfeit gods vying for their allegiance in an effort to dilute their impact on the world. And isn't that the same for us today? He concludes his farewell address by instructing God's people that they need to intentionally and daily make the choice about who is going to receive their full devotion. So let's focus on what Joshua says to the people in Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 and 15. He says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods of your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Joshua basically points to four options we have when it comes to worship. 
We can think of these four options like four points on a compass because whichever you choose, it's going to lead you in a different direction than the other choices. In verse 14, he tells them that their first optional choice is to choose the gods of their fathers and their mothers, the gods your ancestors worshipped, he says. Joshua challenges them not to adopt the same counterfeit gods that sat on the throne of their forefathers' hearts. I read about an article recently titled, My DNA Made Me Do It. The article was basically saying that you can thank your parents for all of your problems. Now, I don't really believe that. However, parents do have great influence over their children. And sometimes children end up worshiping whatever God mom and dad worshiped. King Asa finds himself in a very similar situation. His story can be found in 2 Chronicles chapter 15. In order to keep his heart pure and lead the people in full devotion to the Lord, he had to make a choice whether or not to dethrone his mother's idols. Verse 15 and 16 say this, Even Micaiah, his mother, King Asa removed from being queen mother because she had made a detestable image for Asherah. Asa cut down her image, crushed it, and burned it in the brook Kidron. God does not want any of us to be held hostage by a substitute God that our parents or grandparents have chosen to serve. There's a law that's called the law of exposure. The basic premise is that our lives are determined by our thoughts, and our thoughts are determined by what we are exposed to. My stepfather was a wonderful father to me, but unfortunately, he was held hostage by the false gods of productivity and achievement. The operating room was his temple, and the office was his altar. Professionally and personally, working and working hard was worshipped. Rest was a foreign concept to him. During a season when I once again found myself um, burned out, my passion for God was as dry as it could be, and I found myself um, worshiping God more out of duty than delight, I sought the Holy Spirit, and he finally showed me the root of my problem. I was unwilling to embrace rest and stillness because I had adopted the gods of my father. I had become what I valued most. Having a good work ethic is to be applauded, but I was elevating productivity above the God of the Sabbath, and that was the sin of idolatry. I had to repent. I had to dethrone that false God that my father had chosen to embrace. The second option Joshua gives us is whether or not to serve the gods of our past. Joshua says, throw away the gods your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt 
and serve the Lord. It's amazing to me that for 400 years, longer than the U.S. has been a nation, the Israelites lived among the worshiping of some 1,500 Egyptian gods. They were constantly being influenced and surrounded by the human gods, the animal gods, the celestial gods the Egypt, that the Egyptians praised and revered. It's no wonder that when they exited Egypt, they took some of the Egyptian worship with them. You know, their deliverance from Egypt wasn't as much about being freed from oppression as it was to break the hold and cleanse all of the idolatry out of their past so that um, they could serve God with their full heartedness in the future that he was taking them into. God had to uproot those idols of their past. When someone accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, they are 100% saved, but there can still be gods of the past that have to be confronted. Sometimes the God of the past we worship is our own personal past. We can become more attentive to the wounds of our past than the God of our present. We have to be careful that we don't think more about what we've been through than rejoicing in the God that brought us through. I'm not diminishing anyone's pain. I know that there are people who have suffered unbearable cuts to the heart, and those cuts must be tended to by the tender touch of the Holy Spirit. What I am pointing out is that whenever we identify more with our hurts and our woundedness than we identify with the redeeming healer who has paid a high price for our freedom, we are clinging onto worthless idols and forfeiting a measure of grace. In verse 15, Joshua gives us a third option. We have the choice to serve the gods of our culture or not. Joshua says to the Israelites that if they decline to serve the Lord, then they are going to have a choice whether to serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. When the Israelites crossed the Jordan River to enter the land of Canaan, the gods of the Amorites were what were prevailing in the culture. Today, we live in a land that is influenced by more than just the god of the Amorites. One of the groups of little gods that surround us and influence us constantly, I call the isms. These gods war to take the preeminent seat in our emotions and thoughts and attitudes and rule in our hearts. These ism gods wear name tags such as secularism, humanism, nationalism, individualism, consumerism, materialism, intellectualism, globalism, anti-Semitism, multiculturalism, sexism, ageism, racism, athleticism, and my personal name for the idols of social media are opinionism and follow me and like me-ism. And the list just goes on and on and on. 
appreciating and valuing cultural contributions to society is very different from worshiping them as an idol. The culture becomes an idol when we treat something other than God as if it were a God. In Romans 125, the Apostle Paul um, explains this in just a, a magnificent way. So um, let's read that scripture together. That's Romans 125. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. But they became fruitful in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and of four-footed animals and crawling creatures. Paul says that even though these first century believers knew God, they did not give God first place in their hearts because their foolish hearts were darkened by all the stuff man creates, all the isms, so to speak. When we place a greater value on the corruptible philosophies and even theologies designed by man than our incorruptible God himself, we become idolaters. When we realize that we have fallen into idolatry, we need to repent and exercise Joshua's fourth option. And option four is to choose God himself. In verse 15, Joshua draws a line in the sand and he says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This verse is probably displayed in six out of ten Christian homes. Yet I wonder how many of the inhabitants find themselves loving knowing about God more than loving God himself. Joshua declares that he and his household will be faithfully devoted to the one who has been faithful to them. Do you ever tire of hearing about the story of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I know I don't. I think we're all encouraged by their story because we admire their courage to refuse to let anyone dictate who they should worship. From the time Nebuchadnezzar attempted to engulf these young men into the Babylonian culture by changing their names, they were absolutely resolute in choosing to worship only the true God. And God honored them for that. Like the young Hebrew men, Joshua knows that all other gods are only a deception and a distraction to keep us from the one true God who above all is our eternal, all-powerful, ever-present, all-knowing, almighty God. With a God like that to give our whole heart to, why would we ever want to be our own God or fashion a faux God to serve? 
You know, many believers around the world right now are praying for a great move of the Holy Spirit to sweep across the globe. Probably you are. We are praying for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit that will result in a great harvest of souls in these last days. As we have entered into this series, the question has occurred to me, why would the Lord bring a tidal wave of new followers into a body of believers that have divided devotion? Church, it's time that we ask the refiner to show us our idols so that we can throw them into the refiner's fire. If you are in agreement with me, I want you just to join me this morning. I want you to raise your palms to heaven. No matter if you're on your sofa, at your kitchen table, sitting out on the beach, wherever you are engaged in this message, I want you just to lift your hands before heaven as a symbol of surrender. And I want you to pray this prayer with me. Will you join me? Almighty God, today, today, I reach up to you and to no one else. I choose to worship you and no one else. I choose to set my affections on you and no one else. I choose to serve you. I choose to find my satisfaction in you and nothing else. Jesus, you are my Redeemer. You are my peace. You are my deliverer. You are my refuge and my sustainer. You are my constant hope. And I declare all other gods that want me to serve them are just rubbish. If I have allowed anything or anyone to come before you, I ask the Holy Spirit to unmask its identity so that I may see my idol clearly. Help me to dethrone it from my heart and cleanse me from my sin. Lord, today, today, I place you in that preeminent position of my heart. I say it is you above everything else. I long to serve you. I long to worship you and you alone. Lord, I thank you for hearing this plea of my heart today. And I trust you to help me to live out a pure devotion to you so that I may impact my world and not have my world impact me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, As you go into your week this week, I want to encourage you to strive to walk aware of the idols that are beckoning you, that are calling out to you. I want you to um, walk, as the Bible says, circumspectly, very conscious of those things that, that welcome you to serve them. And I want to encourage you, too, to just spend a little bit of time examining your life Make sure you're not following the gods of your, of your forefathers. Make sure that you're not following the gods of your past. Ex- 
especially revering your personal past to make sure that you're not following the gods of this culture and to make sure that you are worshiping the Lord with your whole heart, mind, body, soul, and spirit. Well, until next week, I hope you just have um, the best week of your life as you serve God. See you later. Okay?